Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit www.thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters John Stevens, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Bayonet Brewing Co., Ryan Charlton, The Paper Mill Micropub, Doug Thayer, Robert Baker, Aid Bardi, The Sociable Beer Company and The Small Batch Brewing Co. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast this evening, Phil from Simple Things Fermentations, based in Glasgow. Simple Things was launched by Phil in 2019 with a mission to brew beer with a sense of place, exploring beer styles that aren't always easy to find, and using ingredients that extend the flavour spectrum beyond current trends. The beers are often modern takes on traditional styles or contemporary styles with a twist. Phil, please introduce yourself and tell us about your beer journey, which led you to launching Simple Things. Hi, Rob. Good evening, and thanks for inviting us onto the podcast. No, pleasure. Um, so my beer journey began, I guess, certainly drinking it as a real ale fan. Uh, right. So a good while ago, probably the Great British Beer Festival. I'm not sure okay. if that was the very first place, but certainly I went there fairly early on after having converted from being a Guinness drinker to finding <laughs> real ale. Was that um, in the in the Earl's Court years? Would that have been? been in yep. the Earl's Court uh-huh. years, yeah, because this was quite a long time ago. And I've yep. been a camera member ever since then for, uh-huh. you know, better or worse. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so I was mostly just a drinker for quite a long time. Then a friend of mine, this was living in London, he got into home brewing and I was interested and eventually got into it myself um, Mm -hmm. in a terraced house in uh, Hackney so it was on a stove top right uh, you know kit well the dried malt extract and adding kit stuff and hops and whatnot trying to make it a bit more interesting yeah and kind of plodded along like that until uh, we basically moved the family from London up to Scotland right and I had a bit more time on my hands and certainly a lot more space and uh, expanded the homebrew thing. And I'd been doing it a while by then, I suppose, and got into it in a slightly more serious way. Right. And I was also having been in the music industry in London, just wondering what to do next. Okay. Really. And I was always keen <laughs> to have my own business. And I applied to do the Harriet Watt course, uh, which is obviously a, 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 we're in Glasgow and that's yep. in Edinburgh. Yep. So not very far away, really, and um, got accepted. And that's where it sort of all began on a professional basis, I suppose. Did a year there, did the master's there. Right. Then immediately, having finished that, when I did two years at Harveston. Yes. By which time I was already very much gestating the plans for what became Simple Things Fermentations. Right. Um, And it was kind of... A bit fortuitous in a way, although it didn't feel at the time. At the time, I was really champing at the bit to just be doing my own thing. I was driving up and down. It was an hour each way in the car, and I was listening to a lot of podcasts and (laughs) generally thinking about it an awful lot, and I just wanted to get going. But I had a a flat to sell, basically, to create the the capital to get going. Right. It took ages to sell the flat. But in that time, I was able to sort of think more carefully, I suppose, about the type of brewery that it was going to be, how we right. were going to go about it, you know, whether to try and get a big investment or whether to just start modestly on my own, which yeah. I, you know, chose that route in the end. Yeah. And yeah, how to sort of make uh, what we do different from everybody else, how to stand mm-hmm. out and how not to be just a, another brewery sort of yes. thing. That was yeah. what I spent most of my time thinking about. I bet, and I it's a emptying out mash tons or whatever it was far uh, from it, straightforward decision yeah, either it is it you know it, it is. Two years you know what what i ended up with i wouldn't have had if i'd have come out of harriet watt and not gone to harvest and not had those right. kind of couple of thinking years and yeah i'm pleased uh, in retrospect that that's the way it went so i i kind of decided i suppose to go the way we've gone sort of small and grow organically mm-hmm. and to try and represent scotland in some way not not to be focused too much on just scottish styles or certainly not to be 
trying to do any kind of his, historically accurate st- stuff or anything, but more right. just to have right. that Scottishness within the the sort of fingerprint of what we do, I suppose. And I suppose as time has gone on, we've evolved what the business is and set out to be. But uh, but certainly that's where we began was to, right. to have a sense of place kind of at the heart of it. And also, as you sort of touched on in the introduction, to try and sort of shine a light on some of the lesser explored avenues of beer and brewing. Um, yes. That was sort of a, the other kind of key bit of it, I suppose, really, was to not just kind of go, all right, well, hazy pale ales are popular, let's just do those. Uh, <laughs> I'll be, <laughs> be, we maybe probably should have done that, but uh, that wasn't the way that we, uh, that we decided to go. And yeah, no, to be fair, I think we've benefited from not having done that, maybe not so much in a business way. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? You know, you're, at the end of the day, it is a business, isn't it? You know, mm. which, which relies on you making a product which people are going to buy in order to, to thrive. And it's and, obviously much more pertinent now than it was three years ago when we started. We weren't to know that just around the corner from having started, everything was going to completely change. No. And it hasn't stopped being weird since then. Sure. And it's now much more, I suppose, critical to have a very lean and healthy business producing yeah. products that people actually want yeah then you know it, it's never been more important to have that than it is now so uh, yeah Absolutely. i suppose that is part of the story as well we're, we're constantly reviewing our business model right. and, and our approach and, and what it is that we do in the brewers journal article that i, I read this afternoon it, it spoke about the fact that that i think you originally intended and expected to make at least a significant amount of uh, i guess uh, keg but also perhaps cast beer available to hospitality and you know and obviously to package the balance but that the, the draft beer side of the business hadn't happened at that stage um you know is that with hindsight did that send you in a good direction or, or do you regret that you didn't manage to to launch in that way no, I certainly don't regret it. I think it's still a bit early to say wh- whether it's launched us in a good direction. You know, uh, yesterday, I think it was in the morning advertiser, the headline was that 70% of pubs might not survive the winter. Right, in which yeah. case, it won't have been such a bad thing that we were no. born in this period, which forced us to concentrate heavily on small pack. And, you know, that still really is the core of the business for us because yeah. we had quite a few false starts you know, keg and cask, every time sure. we brewed a batch, certainly in the first kind of year or two, we <laughs> immediately the pubs all closed or yes. whatever, you know, something like that. And yeah, now we're doing quite a bit, certainly more than we were in terms of dealing with pubs and uh, and the on-trade. Okay. But yeah, it, it's still very much small pack is kind of the core thing for us. And maybe right. that will prove to be a, a handy thing. I don't know. We, we'll yes. see. The jury's kind of out on that, I guess. Sure. It obviously does allow you to have a, a nationwide customer base, doesn't it? As opposed to, to worrying about you know, yeah, perhaps just servicing yeah, local. I mean, and, there's, there's another kind of element to that in that Glasgow as a city is not an easy place to sort of go out and sell to the pubs. You know, the, right. the pubs are really well tied up. There's not much of a cask scene here. No. Um, and cask is traditionally the the more realistic entry point for a new brewer getting absolutely on right bars yeah. in pubs you know there's a lot more fluidity yeah and a lot more acceptance uh i suppose of of rotating uh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right yeah. yeah and there really aren't that many cast pubs in glasgow and no. uh, you know even the ones that there are they you know they might only have two or three ampules and right obviously a, a good few breweries who are pretty well in line for those so sure that's another element to it as well, which is completely separate to a, mm-hmm. you know the the pandemic thing. So let's but, talk a uh, bit about your setup, Phil. So you know, what's the capacity of your brewery? What kind of frequency are you brewing? What's your production output? Okay, so it's six hundred liters per yep. batch. Um, mm-hmm. We have a couple of bigger fermenters, so we do double brew as well, nice. and we brew a couple of times a week at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah. And we could do to be brewing maybe three times a week, really, mm-hmm. to be sort of uh, properly coming along but um yeah that's sort of more or less okay at the moment yeah uh, there's two of us there's myself and ewan yeah so i started on my own back in december 20 that first year on my own which ended up being pretty much just brewing packaging yes. and 
jumping in my car and driving around Glasgow delivering it to people. Home deliveries, yeah. Yeah, which was quite nice, actually. You know, Good way to of, build a customer base, yeah, one, one, yeah, one door knock right. at a time. <laughs> it certainly felt craft, that's for sure. You know? Yes. Uh, the, nobody could say it wasn't that. No. Um, but, and yeah, actually, it went reasonably well to the point where Christmas of that year, I was able to kind of understand that it wasn't going to be sustainable to carry on just on my own. And mm-hmm. as it happened... Ewan, who I'd worked with at Harveston and I knew to be, uh, you know, a great brewer, really reliable, hardworking sort of a person too. And, you know, somebody I got on really well with. Uh, He was furloughed and not particularly busy. So we ended up having uh, the conversation Mm -hmm. and he jumped on board in February of that year. Um, Terrific. So, yeah, since then, it's been the two of us. And, yeah, it works pretty well he now does all the production related stuff mostly anyway i do everything else we come together constantly to talk about the beers as we're as they are being brewed you know uh and what we're going to brew and all that sort of stuff but yeah he does the actual hands-on brewing now, right. which is great let's talk through your range of beer styles then because it's you know you've, you've sort of referred obliquely to it being a bit off the wall perhaps um so, so what well, have you released and you know yeah, what, so what's your strategy well, we definitely try to straddle wacky and esoteric and also things that people want to drink. Right. And <laughs> that's, that that's a good plan, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the main motivation is to produce beers that people want to drink and not sure. just kind of want to have one sip and go, oh, wow, that's really interesting and different but you know actually want to yeah which by the way you know that that it's easy to fall into that trap isn't it with craft beer and i I, i'm guilty of celebrating beers myself sometimes and actually struggling to finish the can of it because you know so (laughs) no we're definitely about sessionable pintable beers for a full glass and then maybe one or two more after that so with that said yeah we've got a core range of two beers Mm -hmm. mainly just because we can't we don't have the resources the space and whatnot to keep more than two beers constantly available all the time so they are uh twisted pilsner which is a dry hop czech pilsner um brewed with sats and then dry hopped with uh kazbek which is uh, another czech hop uh, czech pilsner malt used and then we also do a pale ale 5.6 percent and we use european hops entirely for that so the idea of that is that it's a sort of modern feeling pale ale that rather than new world hops we use European hops kind of carefully selected so you get as much sort of fruitiness and as little right. kind of yeah. icy, grassy stuff as, as possible. Nice. So they're the two core. And then we've all on top of that, we've got seasonals, which is a range of beers that sort of come and go. Yeah. Big idea series, which is new beers that we're trying mm-hmm. out. And I suppose the successful ones of those become seasonal beers right then we also have uh wild style range which is a mixed firm stuff which is all kind of long form mixed culture fermented stuff right yeah they're the kind of several strands of it and the seasonal stuff i suppose is the kind of bulk of that and in that we do try to do the sort of scottish styles the british styles Uh, we like belgian stuff we like Mm -hmm. german stuff which i never thought we were going to be able to do on the kit because it's a really quite a basic traditional British style infusion kit. Um, yeah. I wasn't confident that we'd be able to turn out decent kind of lager type beers, but as it proves, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with the way that nice. they're okay, coming great. out. So we yeah. do a bit of, a bit of that sort of thing. Terrific. And then more recently we have started to do a little bit more of the kind of American uh, style stuff. So we've done a couple of IPAs. Right. And we've got a, a lower ver- lower ABV version of the IPA coming out soon. So we're, we're sort of keeping, I suppose, the bulk of what we do, Britain and Europe focused, but we are sort right. of adding a, a little bit of the, conceding that we have to uh, have a bit of everything as well, just to, yeah. to just keep everything humming along. I mean, it's a pretty broad range of beers, to be honest with you, isn't it? For a two-man operation. It's, yeah, you know, no, I'm really happy with yeah. it. I love it, yeah. yeah. I drink a lot of my own beer, which is great. You know, I don't, you know, obviously. <laughs> I hope I so too, yeah. It's definitely one of A fair bit about the range in that there's no matter what kind of thing I'm in the mood Whatever for, mood you're in, whatever weather's like, there's, there's something there that yeah, you. Yeah, you know, there's usually something amongst what we do ourselves Ooh. that hits the spot. Uh, we Truth try and uh, always have like a decent range of ABV. So everything right. from sort of, we're always trying to have something around the sort of three or 4% stuff. Mm-hmm. But don't do anything kind of particularly 
super high ABV, kind of nine percent is about the highest we can reasonably right. do without yep. it, without going into crazy double mash type stuff. And um, yeah, that's fine by me as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we try and I would say just provide a, a decent spectrum of stuff in in every respect really whether it be from the multier forward stuff to the yep. hoppier stuff to the just generally try and cover as many bases as we can while still having a, a recognizable profile i suppose yep. well talking about the multier end of your uh, your spectrum let's talk about this first beer um this is big ideas series number eight uh, which is five and a half percent Scottish export. Tasting notes, I have to say, in this contemporary take on the classic Scottish 80 shilling style, the malts work together to provide a luscious combination of toffee sweetness and soft, smooth, honey-coated raisins, with spruce tips and restrained hops contributing a subtle pine citrus edge. Wood-panelled bar rooms are evoked. I love that. This beer is about everyday opulence, polished but superbly drinkable. I'm really enjoying this, actually, more than I expected to, to be honest with you, because this is not really my style of beer at all. You know, we were just talking about this before we, before we started. I don't, I, you know, I haven't drunk much 80 shilling. Um, I mostly don't drink very many malt-forward, even bitters, to be honest with you. So so th this, is, uh, this is out of my sort of normal comfort range. But I've got to tell you, this is a really nice beer. Um, you know, it, 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 I think the tasting notes absolutely nail it. It's a lovely, complex, malty drink. The hops coming through as well. It's it's just the whole thing. I think is it's just really, really good. I'm glad that I'm drinking this. And this is one of the fun things about this podcast is that you know I often am. You know, people will say, "Oh, let's have that one." I think, "Oh, you know, are you sure?" And then I end up tasting it, thinking, "Oh, this is really good." You know, <laughs> and I yeah. shouldn't be so constrained with my beer choices at times. I'm definitely guilty of that. And uh, and this podcast well, yeah, sort of, yeah. oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people have the same thing, you know, and that was part of the thinking of behind the brewery, really, was yeah. to try and be a bit of an evangelist. I remember as part of that couple of years of coming up with the, the sort of brewery philosophy, if you like, yeah. I read a book called Radical Brewing by Randy Mosher, which right. I would recommend. I have heard of it, yeah. yeah. And it's just a, an encyclopedia of beer styles that you basically don't see. And okay. it, it kind of <laughs> opened my eyes to the range of possibilities yep. within a set of ingredients you know the the basic uh, that's right yeah. it simple things you know because right. it's, it, it is just simply some malted grain yeast hops water and within that the range of styles that you can achieve and the range mm. of flavors and everything else is just incredible truly and wonderful yet, yeah most of the time we drink a, B, and C, all of which taste almost <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, you know, nobody's saying that those beers don't taste great. They really do, no. and you can see why people drink them more than an eighty shilling, for example. But now and again, it's nice to have an eighty shilling or Absolutely. a smoked, yeah. whatever it may be, you know. And it's about celebrating that sort of thing. And and yeah, I suppose trying to as much as we can suggest to people that they might want to now and again have a look at what's going on over here yeah and part of doing a part of doing that successfully i suppose is doing the style justice and yeah. so it's not well just that's about the thing brewing. isn't it yeah so you know what nobody ever likes 80 shilling these days no because you know mccurin's brewed it and they has <laughs> with yeah, all due exactly. respect to mccurin's but you know that's <laughs> but they're not generally oh well you know got to be a bit careful about generalizing but often when you come to something like that it's a little mm. bit disappointing and it's not going to make you go back and maybe try another one no. whereas, whereas if you put the the sort of research in and spend some time we generally do a few pilot brews of whatever we do and we kind of tweak it and get it to the point where we're pretty happy with it yeah and by doing that and by just carefully considering what we're doing and all the usual stuff then hopefully we end up with something that is an example of, of whatever it may be that people are reasonably impressed by and, and it does make them think slightly differently about things, you know? Absolutely. More inclined to go back and give it another go. Yeah. So with this one, we, I suppose the sort of key threads with it are a cool fermentation. So it's letting the malt come through in the same way as like a, a, a lager, you know, a German. Right. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's kind of a keen in that way to, to a sort of a, a darker lager, it, you, you keep the, the sort of fermentation characteristic as restrained as possible. We're really right. lucky in Glasgow to have this beautiful water uh, that, of yep. course, is like 95% of what's in the glass. And that, I think, really helps with that beer. I mean, I think it helps with all of our beers. I imagine it does, yeah. Really, yeah. You really notice it with that. It's got this really lovely soft mouthfeel, mm. which really suits that beer. 
Uh, and we did with this one as well, I suppose, to make it a little bit different. Um, it was a bit of a punt, actually, but we happened to be brewing it around the time when the fresh spruce tips were on the okay. trees. In mm-hmm. uh, So in May, uh, you kind of drive around and you see the spruce trees and there's yeah. these little bright green shoots mm-hmm. on the end. And there, I think there's a bit in radical brewing about that, or certainly it's, you know, it's not like it's a, something that we've just come up with. It's a relatively no. well-established brewing thing, but yeah. um, it works pretty well uh, in that beer, just at the right level. Oh, a tiny all. amount, because it's a very powerful flavour, isn't it? Indeed. I, um... It is indeed, yeah. It's all about getting the balance right, as is so often the case with brewing. And it turns out, actually, if you put too much in, it's got a very sort of strong piney obviously citrusy thing yeah i'm scarred uh, i was scarred for life a few years ago by an ipa that that was you know there's nine eight or nine percent and it was you know it was a spruce tip ipa and uh, it was truly truly awful one of the worst beers i think i've ever drank and it was just you know i every time i see spruce tips mentioned in an ingredient list i think oh my goodness i hope it's not going to be like that one yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you've definitely got to be careful with it that's for sure it's a really lovely ingredient but you've uh, definitely got to use it judiciously mm. as it happens because the malt the malt in uh, this beer is uh, pretty caramelly okay it turns it into like a coca-cola actually it's, if you oh. are a bit heavy-handed with the uh with the spruce tips you end up and it tastes remarkably like coca-cola oh so uh, <laughs> i might at some point do a, a coca-cola beer and uh, yeah well it's been a, been a few coca-cola cola sour variants no, this this is really good. I'm I'm really enjoying this, Phil. Um, as I say, yeah, so nice beer. Um, talk to us about your your mixed firm side of your of your production output, then, because that you know that that's an area where I'm really interested as well. Um, okay, well, yeah, I mean that's not something that I profess to be any sort of great expert in. It's really more expanding, I suppose, what we do with everything else into that area. So looking yep. to do things a little bit differently there as well. So. We do that on a slightly smaller scale. We do 200 litre batches of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we really just mess about. You know, we yeah. we, we, we put some, <laughs> some work with something interesting and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I think possibly the most successful thing we've done so far was some of an earlier batch. Well, in fact, we've done it twice now, I think. An earlier batch of the, the export, we right. put that with some kind of breaded well a, a mix of brett yeast and, yep. uh, and bacteria and just left that for a year we just tend to put it that into... sounds great by the way i saw i actually did say that on your i think i saw that on your website this afternoon when i was yeah, looking is, it, is that, it yeah, yeah that sounds surprisingly yeah. well um part of the yeast that we uh, the yeast mix that we used originated from an oval bottle mm. and that character is probably the most recognizable part of it so you've got like nice a, oval tinged export which yeah why not yeah (laughs) well these are quite easy things to do really you know sure i mean you look you pay for your bottle of orvals you're entitled to do what you like with the use you know when (laughs) when you drunk most (laughs) of it (laughs) exactly Uh, there was a few other bits and pieces in there as well but that was the one that seemed to push its way to the front so um yeah we've got another batch of that on the go and That'll be along at some point. We've also got a few. So this is, we tend to do uh, about half of these sort of things in in plastic, just not trying to get any character into right. it other than the interaction of the uh, yeast and bacteria and the and the work. And then we do have a few barrels as well. Nice. So um, it's a sort of question of looking at what we've got and what's happening at the time. And yeah, it's not very scientific, particularly. No, uh, you know, and, and look, you know, it's never going to be, I, I suspect, a hugely profitable arm of, of your brewery, <laughs> no. is it? But, but you know, it's, <laughs> but it's great fun, and I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really just a, a, a messing about thing, but uh, yeah. it is good fun, and mm. there's some some good beers come out of it. Uh, the one we've got on the go, at the, or one of the ones we've got the, on the go at the moment, which I think we're going to package fairly soon, because it is tasting really good, is. We did a, a Burton IPA at the end of last year, right? which again, wasn't trying to be a sort of Ron Pattinson approved, <laughs> historically you know, <laughs> nailed on thing. Yeah. It was just, you know, let's have a look at what people say this style is and, okay. and see what we can come up with. And uh, that the beer itself was great. And we stuck 200 litres of it into a barrel that we'd previously done some of this mixed firm stuff in. So obviously right. 
some interesting bits and pieces going there. Nice. And that's been uh, now in that barrel for a year. And right. uh, so I guess it's, it's kind of like a stock ale, basically. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that completely different to the the export thing. Um, we didn't introduce deliberately any known blend of yeast and bacteria or anything right. like that. It's, it's just a kind of fairly organic thing. But yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, no, and you normally package that into bottles, would you? The sort of share yeah, of bottles yeah. or, yeah. We've moved everything over to cans apart from the mixed firm stuff. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. It's more yeah. appropriate to, hmm. to carry on bottling that. Definitely. Which is a pain in the ass. But, well, uh, is, you know, know but... it, it's nice. But I think people, you know, and you know, increasingly these days you're seeing, you know, both in tap rooms and and bottle shops, you know, a, a demand for for these sharers and people, oh. you know, you, you want to have the. It's almost like you want to have the ceremony of of having to, you know, pop the top of the bottle and share it rather than, uh, you know, opening the cans all very well and good. And you know, I love, you know, I want my I want my IPAs in a can. Thank you very much. But if you know if you're going to drink a nice, interesting mixed firm beer, it needs to come out of a bottle, really, doesn't it? Yeah, no, for sure, yeah. absolutely, and. I wouldn't necessarily feel all that the a, a bottle is able to withstand withstand a lot more pressure than a can. So yes, of course, that kind yeah. of uh, element to it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel a lot more comfortable putting it into bottles, especially in the hot weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent, Phil. Let's take a short break. This week in craft beer is sponsored by them that can the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Them that can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services please visit www.themthatcan.com So I'm back with Phil from Simple Things Fermentations for the second half of the show. Phil, you know what's coming at this stage of the conversation. What I need to know is... What makes you different? What is it you're doing to stand out in the UK craft beer scene? Uh, okay, well, I mean, we've covered probably the main thing, really, which is the sort of the type of beer that we do. And also, I suppose, the type of beers that we don't really do. We don't do New England IPA and we don't mm -hmm. do triple fruity gozers or anything right. with fruit in it. Other when we did a Bramble Saison, uh, I kind of always thought that I would try and avoid any additives that or adjuncts that are non-native you know, right so but that around. doesn't necessarily restrict that much does it because you've got some amazing fruit farms right. in Scotland, yeah, for example so yeah yeah. Um, yeah absolutely i mean i always as well as having these kind of guidelines and pointers to myself i do try not to be too dogmatic about it because mm -hmm. i'm very aware that at some point I will likely change my mind or be forced to. You know? <laughs> as is your, you know, absolute prerogative. Indeed, as the, yeah. as the, yeah. In terms of, the, you know, the business thing, you, you know, you might decide that you have to. Mm. Uh, I think if I was to start doing fruited sours, I might just set up a completely separate brand for that. Rather, Fair enough, know, yeah, which is an absolutely valid option, yeah. Yeah, yeah but for, I mean, one example of how we have changed is actually, I think the beer that we're going to come on to shortly right. is the first beer that we have done with citra in it so we went sure. for two years or more without using citra and that was always something that i was keen to do as well just because yep. it is super prevalent and very tasty makes great Shut beer obviously. <laughs> yeah but uh, you know i thought after a couple of years maybe i could allow myself <laughs> the luxury of brewing with citra again uh, or, yep. yeah, i used to use it as a home i'm brew. sure yeah yeah um, so, yeah, that's, I suppose, an example of how we try not to be too yeah, dogmatic. Right. We don't want to yeah. set ourselves up for a fall, if you like. But, yeah, to go back to the question, that sort of thing, really. We, we try and not just cover the same ground as, as everybody else, beer-wise. Yeah. We, I suppose, are pretty keen on can conditioning. Now we started off right. with bottle conditioning. Sure. All our kegs are keg conditioned. You know, nice. I know that's hardly we're the only, we're not, the only people doing that but no, it's still not but it's yeah it's, it's a small it's a much smaller subset certainly yeah yeah that's right but i really like the way that beers come out in that you know mm. most of the best belgian beers are done that way the absolutely yeah do their stuff that way more beer are great beers are they mm -hmm. you know they're all can condition and i i just really like the the results you get it's not uh it's not straightforward it has its you know each method has its uh kind of challenges right um, and with can conditioning, uh, it did take us a little while to work out how we were going to do it. 
I was pretty concerned at one stage that we weren't going to be able to do hobby PLLs or IPAs because it, it definitely is more difficult to get those styles right. But I'm right. really happy with, you know. Mm, this is really good. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come uh, on to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, that's a, a sort of reasonably significant point of difference, I think. Um, what about, you know, when you're thinking about a new beer, do you sort of grade it on a scale of, how well this is going to sell compared to how unusual or traditional or I'm not quite sure what the right word is, but, but, you know, so, so, so you, you could say that, that your the definition of your business, you know, doing traditional styles with a, with a modern twist, you know, is that's very broad, but beers in that category are not going to be the ones that people are actually probably looking for when they're, when they're shopping for a beer to start with, you know, so yeah. what you, I guess you're trying to do is pique their interest. Yeah. Um, you know, and so oh, that sounds, you know, knowing, knowing what they know about the quality of your production, they'll say, well, actually, look, you know, simple things have done this style that I haven't drunk for 20 years, but actually probably going to be a good example and it's going to be worth trying. So, so I, I get all of that, but even still choosing a beer in that broad category means it's, it's, it may not sell as quickly as if you brew a diff, you know, another variant of your hot lager or your, you know, or, or, or your English polo. So, so, so this is, very, this is the longest question I've ever asked on this podcast <laughs> in 130 episodes. So I'll get to the point in a minute, I promise. But I, what I'm trying to ask is, do you think about a list of recipes and say, well, look, you know, that one fits into the beers we're going to be able to sell quickly category. And this one over here gives us a bit of luxury then to, to do something resurrect a style that that people have forgotten about that you really want to brew but you think is probably going to stick around for a while in the cold store before you've shifted it do you, is there a bit of a balance you're striking between recipe choices or not yes is the short answer okay. to the God. question yeah <laughs> so talk me through that thought process a little bit um yeah it's something i think we constantly ruminate on that balance you know mm -hmm. making sure that what we're doing is relevant and for sure what people actually want to go and pick up off the shelf mm -hmm. whilst also being interesting and a bit different you know that mix is something that i think about more or less constantly i don't yeah. i wouldn't say i have any particularly scientific or even organized method for analyzing it or right. anything like that but yeah i 100 percent think about it all the time yeah uh, and i suppose this feeds back into the uh, the original question about what makes us different because mm -hmm. we probably do have a slightly different view to a lot of breweries on uh, on where we want to be in there you know mm -hmm. we don't particularly save for massive volume I mean, again, this is a, an evolving thing and A, we're learning and B, the market's changing and C, yep. the whole yep. world's changing. But yeah, we, we definitely, I suppose, we do try to have a few beers that we know are going to go. Yep. And I suppose the longer that we're around, the more important that seems to be becoming. Right. But I don't think we'll ever not want to have, even if we were literally putting out there and just breaking even or i don't think we would probably do it and lose money that would be insane no but that would I, be absurd i would yeah. certainly be happy to <laughs> to have beer out there and not particularly make money on it if it was doing something useful like drawing attention to a scottish export or something a style yeah. you're yeah. becoming the least hip style in the world when actually it's a fantastic beer style yeah. that scotland should be really proud of and shouting from the rooftops you know i i'd very happily play my part in that and yep. do that just to you know as long as the bills were being paid but nice. yes alongside that you do need to have the stuff that moves the business forward and that yep. i suppose make sure that people don't that you're not just doing the kind of quirky stuff and a few kind of sandal wearing geeks are <laughs> know about it and nobody else does you know there's no point no doing it no no that yeah from the rest of the the beer world kind of thing. yeah you, i think there is a you know, there's a potential to spite yourself a little bit in that you know yeah. in that direction is there you know and and you know one of the things that um uh, and i've said this before on this podcast that makes me cross about chatting to brewers is where they say they entirely choose beer styles to please themselves you know they're, they're not taking any account of, of market forces or what's going to sell or what doesn't sell and i i, I just I, I refute that i don't accept that that you could possibly be running the business in that way and let you know you perhaps you perhaps you are i mean maybe maybe these people are independently wealthy and are, you know Absolutely. running their business as, yeah. a, as a just a pure lifestyle business and happy for it mm -hmm. to 
bump along and barely make it, you know, break even or lose money. Fair enough. I guess who who am I to criticize that? But it just it seems a strange thing to say that you don't take any account of, of the general public. I'm not saying that you, of course, because you haven't said that, but but some brewers have said that to me, and I think, oh, really? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you might well start off with that romantic notion, but yeah. um, it doesn't take long before you're disabused of it, especially yeah. if... When the vet bill comes in. And, and <laughs> family to feed and a mortgage to pay and you yeah. know, employees who have the same thing, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a bit more nitty-gritty than that. And, yeah. And, yeah, it, you obviously don't want to just kind of completely sell out. And it's important to me, and I'm sure it is to every brewery owner, to to be true to the to the philosophy that mm. you've, or the brand really that you've created, you know, it, it, that it should stand for something and that people yeah. have uh, an understanding of what that is when they see your logo or certainly when you, they drink your beer. Absolutely. And you don't want to dilute that too much you know you no. might have to dilute it a little bit but maintaining that is is really important and and yeah keeping that mix uh where it needs to be is yeah a, a big preoccupation of mine for sure what are your growth ambitions bill uh i would love to see us have a tap room mm-hmm. and to be able to do that and concurrently be more present across the UK and yeah. you know indeed the world um sure. <laughs> you know I'm not looking to be brewdog I would no. quite happily not have a huge amount of employees I, I think I might have already mentioned the kernel business model you know I, I really love the way that they right. go about their the, themselves you know I, yep. I, I really respect the fact that they could have done what Beaver Town did but I know yeah, I'm sure they must have had plenty of calls from. I'm absolutely family. certain of it. Yeah, yeah. But they've chosen to remain doing what they do and do it really well, and yep. they've got 100% credibility and they make great beer. I even secretly, I even grudgingly respect these days that they still bottle their IPAs, even though I know they shouldn't, and everybody <laughs> knows they shouldn't. But they damn well are going to keep on doing it. And I kind of, as I say, I, oh, through I, I through gritted that. teeth, I respect that. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's my ambition to go back to 500 mil brown glass bottles. Oh my goodness! I was <laughs> successful enough to be able to go. You know what? I want to put this into <laughs> and people glass. will find it. Yeah, you know, yeah, they'll yeah. they'll find it on the wrong shelf in the bottle shop because. Consider that my uh, life's work complete. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, let's have a chat about Big Ideas Series 28, which is your 6.8% DDH IPA hopped with Amarillo, Simcoe, and Citra. Good tasting notes here say juicy, fruity, soft, and smooth. Punchy New World hops are what this beer is all about. Five Amarillo additions in the boil and twice dry hopped with Simcoe and Citra. Delivering intensely layered tropical and citrus fruit flavours, moderate bitterness provides a balancing snap, while soft Scottish water and a healthy dose of oats keep everything well-rounded. Yeah, this is really good as well. Really enjoying this. Um, nice bitterness in the backbone there, but lovely fruit flavours. Um, you know, as we've been just saying, you, you know, you're not a, a regular user of citra these days, but I, you know, I think it works really well in this beer. And as you say, the Glasgow water, lovely and soft, some oats in there as well. This is just a really nice example of an IPA. As you say, not a, not a New England IPA because it's, it's it's bitter, more bitter and cleaner than a New England IPA, but still lovely flavours and I'm really enjoying this. Um, so, yeah. yeah, tell us about this. So, yeah, this, as I say, it was uh, us kind of accepting that we can't resist <laughs> uh, the lure of delicious American hops forever. Sure. But I suppose being keen to do it in our own way. Yeah. So not that it's, you know, a million miles from any other beer that's similar to this, but hopefully it is somewhat distinct and partly because of the nice soft water, yeah. um, partly because of the way that we brewed it, um, which is, I think, maybe a little bit more of a, an old school approach. We're sort of maintaining our our approach of being at least a decade or two behind in the way uh, everybody else kind of goes about <laughs> things. So we uh, went with layered editions of whole cone Amarillo in the kettle, which yep. I think is a huge part of this beer. So you, you really, mm-hmm. it sort of bakes the, the the sort of Amarillo oranginess. Yeah, Amarillo is a great hop. Yeah. Um, and then it's sort of lightly dusted almost with 
uh, with Citroen, uh, Simcoe, Pellet. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it surprised me to be honest with with how it, how well it came out. Yeah, because I mean, there's enough Citroen Simcoe in there for it not to be a West Coast IPO. That's for sure. So I think I think you got it just right. To be honest, it's really oh, nice one. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was really happy. again as I say, you know, we we did do a few pilots and whatnot, and mm -hmm. we kind of after a little while we're reasonably comfortable that it wasn't going to be a massive waste of a lot of money on expenses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, uh, it's, uh, it, it, I was just really relieved because, you know, as I said earlier, the whole can conditioning thing, and the, our whole brew kit is pretty rudimentary. Really. Yeah. The fermenters are open and there's yeah, stay lots, quarter kit, isn't it? Uh, yeah. There's yep. a, a lots of uh, sort of received wisdom out there that it, isn't possible to do this kind of beer on uh, and it sure you know it's much easier to do it in conical unitank type things sure. and to to sort of have a uh you know the forced carb uh, packaging approach um so yeah it was a massive relief when it came out the way it does another fun thing about can conditioning is that you go through a little obviously re-fermentation in the package so yep. if you try it after a two or three days it's just chock full of diacetyl and oh. uh, so you get this lovely anxiety yeah uh, bizarre yeah yeah. So. yeah it, it depends on you know the the beer and the yeast yeah, and yeah. it can be longer or shorter but generally yeah if you open it after a couple of days yeah. it's just diacetyl right the way through and you Good Lord. have to have a <laughs> nail biting time yeah of course hoping actually, it comes back yeah it's, wow. uh, it's like a little kind of brewing miracle in your in your hand yeah uh, yeah it, one of one of many of course you know the, uh, the feeling of relief when we mm. cracked that one open after however long it was and it was yeah uh, it all cleaned itself up um, i think um the, the thinking about who i've had in the podcast that can condition neptune uh springs to mind down right, in liverpool okay. i don't know if you know julian les but they yeah, yeah. i think well i think pretty much all their beers are can condition i didn't so, know that they were kind of yeah you should have a chat to them about uh about you know cool. tips and tricks or whatever so i think they've been doing it for a while but uh right yeah no this is really good um so let me turn around the the first question the second half slightly um so so this is uh, at the request of uh, a friend of mine uh, who brews on the south coast who I, I won't name but he knows who he is and he asked me to add this question to my to my list and this is what do you wish you'd done differently so it's sort of a subtle difference between the previous question so you know is there something that you've done whether and it could be a technical answer you know it could be a beer related question or business related question but is there something that you know, you did a couple of years ago, you think, oh, no, that was a mistake, or actually, okay. I wish I'd done, you know, or something you've done recently that you wish you'd done a lot sooner. That would be another way to approach this. Well, I suppose the difference between putting into bottle and can was huge. And mm -hmm. yeah, if I'd have been in can from the start, I don't, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made, but it certainly would have saved a lot of my time, that's for right. sure. And uh, possibly, you know, we would have made a, a bigger splash when we sort of launched. Um, That's always the challenge, isn't it? Yes, yeah. you know, you, if you launch in a brewery into glass, then, you know, I'm not quite yeah. sure where, you know, you're trying to get the beers place where people are going to see them. It's a big challenge, I'm sure, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, for mean, sure. So. No, that was huge going uh, from bottle to can. Yeah. Probably the thing that I wish I'd done differently, though, albeit I'm very, I'm really happy with where the brewery is because I can walk to work through the woods, nice. basically. I'd oh, my goodness. <laughs> much Fabulous. nicer journey than driving an hour up to, to Alva every day, that's for yeah. sure. But the major drawback with it is it's in a pretty residential area, right. so right. we're unable to get any form of tap room or right. visitor experience, even just walking up and saying, can we just take a few bottles from you? It would be really nice to have some element of that uh so I'm kind of retail footprint drivers yeah. on to to sort of make that happen uh you know it's it's firmly on my list of things that i'd, I'd love to do but, but yeah, it's going to need to be a, a move I wish, yeah yeah i wish we were able just to sort of open the doors on a saturday mm. for a few hours and get people in and sell them a few beers yeah. chat to them find out what they think of the beer that's you know. it yeah you know that direct feedback is amazing, absolutely we yeah. didn't get to do beer festivals until this year really no. we obviously no. not happening um so having now done a few of those mm. and had that experience of handing a glass over to people and having yes. the, the, the to and fro that's just priceless and being able to do that more often and right the way through the year that would be lovely but uh yeah hopefully one Understood. day 
distant future. So that leads me perfectly into the next. You must be looking at my list of questions, actually, Phil, because literally the next question on the list is what festivals or events have you got left in the diary for, for this summer or autumn? Okay, well, I've got uh, one this weekend, uh, okay. which is the Giffnock Rugby Club. Beer which sadly will, will be a couple of weekends in the past by the time this publishes, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> right, <laughs> sure, right, okay. So I've got next week... The Rivington farm trip. Oh, well, wow. Be, it will also be in the past, but yeah. that's going to be a hell of an experience. I was there last year, and what a, what a great festival. I'm going to be at Indyman, which is amazing. Perfect. Um, so we I will... That, I don't think it's okay. been announced yet, but it will have been by then, probably. Perfect. Well, that's also awesome. Great for you to, to be there. Yeah, superb. I'm... Yeah, I couldn't believe it when uh, I got that call. Brilliant. Um, we're up at Indie Man. Um, we've got uh, season tickets actually, so we're going for the full oh, uh, the full duration uh, kind of experience. Yeah. So that's going to be going to be a lot of fun. So I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, there's that, and then hopefully you get something. I'd, I'd love to be able to organise some pop up stuff around Glasgow between mm-hmm. well throughout autumn and up to Christmas. You do sort uh, of Christmas markets and the like, do you? Yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, I'd love to be able to do that. Nothing actually concrete yet, but uh, there's one or two irons in the fire. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. Uh, we've got coming up in terms of beer releases. We've got a lot coming up in terms of beer releases. Uh, we, as I say, we've got like a mini version of the IPA that you're drinking now. So that's six point eight percent. We're doing a five percent version, ah. but with Chinook in the boil and Citra Nelson dry hop. Mm. So that's tasting really good. Yeah, that'd um, be good. We've got we've got like a strong British ale, so a bit like a sort of barley wine. Yeah, kind of like a Sort of British Duval really is oh. the way we were going with that. What else have we got? We've got the various bits of the sort of stock ale type things come out of the barrel, as I was saying. We've got yep. Best Bitter. Uh, we've got more stuff than I can actually call to mind at the moment. <laughs> I know that sort of October, November, December times where you want to be making a bit of hay, that's for sure. So uh, we've, yes. we've planned accordingly. And then Table Beer for January uh, because... Obviously, smart you know, move. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, there's there's a lot of good stuff uh, happening. Terrific. Oh yeah, we've got the collab fest, uh, collabageddon rather. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, Who are you uh, collaborating with? Well, uh, I'm not. We're not allowed to say yet. Oh, okay. But uh, okay. yeah, no, we're really excited to be doing. Terrific. Where's the best place for people to get their hands on uh, both the you know your existing releases and the new releases? Then. Well, our uh, web shop carries mm-hmm. everything. Um, yeah. We. Are- also send uh, out, well, We Beer Shop, a uh, great su- supporter of us. And I think yep. most of what they, they don't send bottles out, but almost everything that we do now is can. So yeah, sure. uh, they send uh, send our stuff out online. And then various places, really. We, uh, we're pretty well stocked in Beer Moth in Manchester. Nice. House of Trembling Madness and Rainbow mm, Also Store. fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Two of my favourite 10 bars in the world you just named, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing. Uh, Sturchley Wines. Um, nice, you know, yeah. Just trying to think about ones that further afield than in Glasgow and Edinburgh, the sort of usual suspects, independent yep. specialist-wise. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you, you distribution if, if a bottle shop or a taproom's trying to get hold of uh, cans or kegs? Or? We do mostly direct. Um, okay. We work with a distributor in Glasgow who right. deals with uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Yeah. We're not really doing much regularly with UK-wide distributors no. uh, yet. Fair enough. But obviously trying to make a bit more of that happen. But yeah, uh, yeah the easiest thing is just to get into Just hit there. you up direct, yeah? yeah. Perfect. Through the usual channels. Mm-hmm. Good. Let's crack on then into the home straight. Um, and here I start out with what I call the shout out to the little guy. And here I'd like you to name one or more local to, I guess, Glasgow or Scottish Central Belt beer businesses that you think are doing a great job promoting independent craft beer. And that can be another brewery, a tap room, a pub, a bottle shop, uh, even a restaurant or a cafe. But somebody that's doing a great job promoting not just simple things, but independent Scottish craft beer, I guess, in general. Okay, well, yeah, the aforementioned wee beer shop. Right. Uh, we massive big up to Neil uh, Jihad at Grunting Growler. Mm-hmm. Uh, good Spirits have been brilliant supporters of ours right from the word go. Nice. Um, I really know their stuff. And then Cool Shipyard to go and drink. Uh, yes. Can't, can't talk about Glasgow and not mention those guys. No, I haven't been there yet. And that's, that's, I've not actually, haven't oh, really? been, oh, I haven't yeah. been craft beer drinking to Glasgow in 
five years at least to my shame. Oh, so it's okay. well, well overdue for a trip. Yeah. So I must make that happen at some point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Shilling in town as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I have been there. And that's a great, yeah. great venue, isn't it? They're great. Um, always have a great, uh, great mm. venue. Really nice folks as well. Pot still mm. just around the corner. Good yeah. support as well. So yeah, no, uh, plenty of good. Uh, no good shortage of uh, great places in Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. Well then, Phil, we are at the wrap-up question, and here I need to know what would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be? Who would you be with? And most importantly, perhaps, which beer would you be drinking? And there's one qualifier, which is that the beer doesn't need necessarily to match the venue. So in this fantasy question, you can bring the beer with you if it wouldn't usually be available there. Okay, right. Are we allowed to travel through time? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so I would probably... Zoom back to I think probably the early to mid two thousands. Okay. To uh, the Wenlock Arms, which was a fantastic, probably still is a, a really good pub. But back then, it was before the smoking ban, and it was this kind of real den of <laughs> iniquity. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was pretty mad. I can uh, picture it. Weird. Yep. In one way and another, and <laughs> reveling in it. And so, well, I'm, I'm not familiar. Whereabouts is this? Uh, so, it's sort of between Islington and Shoreditch. Okay. If you're coming down, uh, I think it's City Road, you go yeah. off to the left, and you sort yeah. of certainly back then you went through this sort of weird wasteland bit, and you felt like you were going to the back of beyond. Yeah. And then there was this oasis of Bon Homme, uh, and you went through the door. There was this, like, very often little trio or quartet of octogenarians playing this kind of skiffly jazz stuff right um, you know a trumpet a piano tiny drum kit and something else uh, like a horn maybe yeah um, and it was i suppose where i really cemented my love of real ale because back then there were there were no kind of craft beer bars or anything no. and it was unusual to see more than a couple of uh, handfuls Right. Uh, there was places like the Harp in Covent Garden, but they're, they're, you know, that's a pretty straight sort of a place, whereas yeah. this was this kind of haven of good times, basically. And the, nice. The first thing you saw when you went in was, I think, eight or ten handfuls. Yeah. And I'd never heard of any of them, usually, and I just no. worked my way along. Fantastic, yeah. Climb the ABV um, ladder. Yeah, it was yeah. just great. <laughs> Everybody was smiling and laughing as you looked around the bar. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know who I'd take. My wife, probably, because that's who I used to go there. Fair with. enough. Uh, and... But yeah, it was more just about being amongst that crowd of people and and drinking in the atmosphere. Drink, drinking a it, drinking yeah. a cast that you never heard of in no doubt great condition. Pretty yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it exactly. Fantastic, that's a really good answer. I don't think I can. Uh, I usually try and find something to object to in my with my guests' answers to that question, but I think I think you nailed it. I like that a lot. I wish I was there myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it was brilliant. Brilliant. Well, look, Phil, this has been fun. Thanks very much for your time. I um, really enjoyed your beers. Looking forward to seeing you at Indie Man. Actually, I will make a yeah. make a point of coming over. I'll bring Steve, my business partner, who's who'll be there as well, and we'll we'll have a chat with you and uh, see what uh, delightful concoctions you pour in uh, for our pleasure that day. So, Brilliant. but, yeah, but in the meantime, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's been fun, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll speak soon. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob.